Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I've got visions in my head. People tell me that I'm crazy. I tell them that's exactly it. I've got reasons for my absence. People tell me that I'm burn out. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to your hopefully some of your favorite podcast, the I Love You So Much podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Elizabeth. I know so many of you recently have been saying how you miss my intros when I was like, hey, guys, welcome back to the I Love You So Much podcast. It's me, Kenzie Elizabeth, and my producer, Taylor. You know, unfortunately, I am in Texas. He is in California, but I might have him do a little, I might have him make a little appearance for maybe a little bit of a holiday festive, festive episode. Okay. So let me know if you guys want that. I think I can pull some strings. Anyways, getting into today's episode. First off, I just have to mention that I am in the absolute best mood possible. Okay. It is December 1st as I'm recording this. And that means that it is officially the Christmas season. Okay. While it may have been Christmas in my house since November 1st, more specifically when the clock struck midnight on Halloween, I am one of those people. I am like literally the Mariah Carey meme. That is me. I might as well be like Mrs. Claus at this point. Christmas Kinsey, it's just, you've never seen anything like it. I'm just the happiest I've ever been. I'm in the best mood. I am such a Christmas person. It is, it's not even funny. Like I actually don't know anyone in my life that's more of a Christmas person than me, but you know, I'll move on from this topic only to revisit it very soon. But today's episode is actually also one of my favorite episodes I have ever recorded. We have Amy Chan on. I will talk more about her and her book soon. Basically the book is Breakup Bootcamp, but it's so much more than that. It's not just a book that would resonate with you. It doesn't matter if you guys are going through a breakup, if you've always been single, whatever it is, this episode is so interesting. She talks about like the science behind breakups, which is what originally caught my eye when she was pitched as a guest, because you know me, I love science and brain stuff. That's just like my thing in 2020. But also she talks about relational attachment theory. Attachment theory is one of the things that I have learned so much about this past year. And I really think, especially now with the knowledge that I have on it in kind of like the resources, I'm legitimately talking about this, like in therapy, I'm so passionate about it. I feel like it's just setting me up to have even better, healthier relationships in the future. It's really, really great. So this episode is for everyone, not just like breakup related. It's so freaking good. You guys are going to love it. When I read this book, I had texted like 
five of my friends saying, you guys absolutely have to read this book. It wasn't out at the time, but it is now out. So if you guys are interested, it's Breakup Bootcamp by Amy Chan. But anyways, I texted so many of my friends and I said, you absolutely without a doubt, a hundred thousand percent need to read this book because it will change your life. It's made such a big impact on me and it's just, it's the best read ever. So I would definitely recommend. We will get back to Amy soon in our conversation. That is just so good, okay? But for now, I need to catch you guys up on the past week. Um, We're gonna do things I've been loving and just thoughts that I've been having, okay? The first thought being that I need to be better at giving myself grace. I know I cannot be alone on this, right? I am so hard on myself. Actually, I don't even know if it's that I'm hard on myself. I don't really pick myself apart. So I always thought like, oh, I'm fine. I was like that when I was younger, maybe just put a lot of pressure on myself, but it doesn't matter. Like maybe I don't pick myself apart, but I put so much pressure on myself and I expect myself to excel in everything and to be perfect and react perfectly and be this perfectly healthy human being. And in reality, like that's just so not even possible. And I think a lot of the ways that we even become healthy is by getting kind of the unhealth out of us. Right. And, and that's by not handling situations correctly or right. You know, like I'm 23. I need to give myself the grace that I so freely give others, everyone else in my life. I'm like, Oh my gosh, totally fine. Like, I don't know. Nothing is really that deep to me. So it's really not, it takes a lot for something to be catastrophic. Right. But for some reason with me, I just put so much pressure on myself. And if I'm not reacting in the healthiest way possible, and if I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that, then it's not enough, or I'm just not performing at what I should be. And then I put more pressure on myself to do that. And then it's just this never ending kind of like toxic, almost like spiral maybe to where I just don't feel like I'm treating myself the way that I should or giving myself the grace. And more importantly, honestly, like room to breathe and room to learn. I think it's actually really important to make mistakes and to mess up, especially when I'm only 23, because that's how I'm going to learn for the future. Right. And even at that, like I'm going to be 40, 60 years old and I'm not going to be perfect. And I'm going to respond to things or react to things in a way that I don't like. And that's okay because that's part of life. What's important is that you take responsibility and ownership and you learn from that, right? So I don't know. That's just something I've been talking a lot about, thinking a lot about. I actually recorded an entire episode specifically on that and like stopping being so hard on yourself on my faith-based Patreon, which is the living room. If you guys haven't joined, you guys need to. If you're into like any faith-based content, um, we're doing like Bible studies, things over there that I think you guys would really enjoy. It's definitely more kind of like accessible and approachable than your average like Bible study. You know, it's from me. So I feel like you guys are already warmed up to me and are comfortable. So I think you guys would like it. Um, Another thing that just deserved some attention on this podcast, Jojo, one of my all-time favorite artists to ever exist. Also a Piper family staple. What I mean by that is that my family, my cousins and my siblings and I grew up listening to Jojo, like too little, too late. I was six years old. There are photos of me in Libby Lou and limited to clothing, holding up a Jojo CD and a stuck in the suburbs CD just to like kind of date it back. Right. So good. Jojo is just one of my favorite people. And she released a Christmas album. Yes, she did. Queen Jojo. We absolutely love her. Actually, she's a dream guest. If anyone has a hookup, let me know, please. But it's really good. My one, my one little nitpick that I'm a little bit sad about. Um, I'm, as we know, very passionate about gift giving. I really do credit myself as being potentially the best gift giver ever. It really consumes my mind 
every single day. My love language is gifts. So I'm always just like thinking ahead of, I don't know, I have a big family too. It's like my favorite thing to do is shop for other people. Anyways, I saw these sweats that are perfect because they're JoJo's Christmas album merch, right? And they're sweats and they would have been perfect for my family Christmas that we're celebrating early at our lake house. And my cousin's going to be there. So I was like, this is perfect. I'm going to get us all these matching sets or sweatpants and you know, everyone's going to love me. Unfortunately, they're not shipping until Christmas. So it just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, that's fine. Worst things have happened, but I just wanted to say, give a little shout out to Jojo because I absolutely love her, adore her. Christmas, Christmas album. Wow. Like how incredible is that guys? Vlogmas is in full swing. If you guys didn't know, I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kenzie Elizabeth. Vlogmas is where I post every single day from December 1st up until Christmas. I'm doing daily vlogs. We're doing holiday gift guides. We're doing hauls. We're doing recipes. We're doing mocktails, all of that stuff. So if you guys need any holiday content to watch, I have you covered up until Christmas. So definitely go check that out. If you guys have not already subscribed to the podcast, be sure to subscribe. Join our newsletter. I'm sharing so many Christmas gifts, just things that you guys would really love weekly. You guys should be getting emails on Thursdays. So be sure to join our mailing list. I've been a little bit off on them in the recent weeks. So if you haven't gotten them, um, you're probably signed up. It's just that I haven't sent one out, but I'm getting back on track this week. So be sure to join our mailing list. All right, guys, a quick break to talk to you about the sorority nutritionist. I cannot imagine going through Christmas and New Year's without having Lauren from the sorority nutritionist teach me her simple tricks because I actually feel good going through the holidays and I'm not overeating a bunch of things that just make me feel just kind of slow and sluggish. I hate that feeling. We all know we are home now more than ever and making so many Christmas cookies, drinking buckets of wine. I recently had my niece over. We were doing some holiday baking for the entire day. And of course I was exhausted after eating that. And because we have like pretty much nowhere to go, we end up eating everything that's in our house, right? The thought of starting a diet this time of year alongside just the stress of 2020 and the holidays is just a no-go for me. That's why I'm so excited to tell you more about the membership Lauren recently came out with for her Fit Babe community because it's actually helping so many women just like you actually lose weight instead of gaining like a bajillion pounds this holiday season and just feeling so slow and sluggish. 2021 is a couple weeks away and I know you're probably thinking new year, new me. If you're contemplating what new diet you're going to try, please first check out what Lauren has to offer because we all know diets are horrible. They suck, then they're boring and they don't work. Rather than you losing and gaining, losing and gaining and losing and gaining the same five pounds over and over again in January, Lauren will show you how to lose the weight each week and look and feel your best without wasting your time. Plus she makes it fun. Head to the sororitynutritionist.com slash ILYSM and enter the code ILYSM to get started today. All right, guys, let's get back to the episode. And if you ever so kindly want to leave me a nice podcast review, I will love you forever. Podcast reviews are what I imagine hell to be. And so when you guys take time out of your day to leave me a positive podcast review, it really warms my heart and it makes me so happy. So if you guys would like to leave a nice review, if you do like the podcast, if you do find yourself tuning in weekly, definitely please feel free to do so. Moving on to things I've been loving. Okay, I read this book called The Light We Lost. Guys, I have finally found a book that is comparable to Before We Were Strangers by Renee Carlino. Before We Were Strangers is one of my absolute favorite books. It's a book that got me even into romance books. Like before I wasn't really that into them. I was strictly a thrillers girl, right? 
Now I dabble in the romance section, right? And before we were strangers, so good. I actually had the author, Renee Carlino, on the podcast. And I know so many of you guys have read it. And so many of you guys have told me how much you love the book. It's really one of those books that I get DMs about every single day because I share constantly what I'm reading on my Instagram. I think I'm at like 100 books in 2020. I need to actually count. And before we were strangers, by far, probably top three as far as positive feedback from you guys. So good. And what was really heartbreaking about the book was that when you're done with it, you just can't find another book that compares or is really in the same light. But I have finally, finally, finally found a book that is comparable. It is called The Light We Lost. I read it this past week. I read it in 24 hours. It was so good. It like makes you tear up. You get emotional. I just get so attached to these books and I would really recommend it. I would also recommend getting a Kindle as well, but um, that's another story. I've talked about this so many times, but The Light We Lost, I cannot recommend that book to you guys enough. It was so good. Speaking of just reading and, you know, the holiday season, getting warm and cozy, that is all I ever want to be. I have already shared with you guys my night routine and how important that is to me. I went through that a few episodes ago and I also shared a YouTube video on it. I have the perfect night routine that has actually made a more positive impact on my life, even than my morning routine. But I know I briefly mentioned this and I just wanted to kind of go a little bit more in detail of my reading vibe and setup every single night. So before bed, every single night I read sometimes for an hour, sometimes for four hours. It really just depends on what time I, I allow myself to go to bed, you know, but I have a whole setup, right? So I have my light dimmers and I got these on Amazon. They're just light bulbs with a little remote. I know some people are cooler than me and they have the app. I don't know. I just bought what I saw on Amazon and I put them to the lowest setting on the dimmer. So it's really already dark, but it just feels so cozy in my room. Then I play the fireplace, like just a YouTube fireplace video on my TV in my room, okay? So we've got the lights dimmed all the way down. We have the fireplace going. Then I have my Kindle. You need a Kindle. If you're one of those people who's like, no, 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 I want the physical book. Stop, no, you don't. You really don't. Kindles are so worth it. You One, you save money. Two, you can lay on your side and read. You can read in so many different positions. That's just much better than when you're reading a physical book. Like, I guess I kind of get it, but once you just become a Kindle person, you never go back. Also, you can like dim the lighting and the settings, change the text, all of that. Like there's just no going back for me. I'm a Kindle girl for, you know, as long as I live at this point. Anyways, my point being with my little reading setup is that the vibe is immaculate. I have completely, completely perfected it. I have my candles burning and it just, it feels so cozy. Now, if you are someone who deals with anxiety or overthinking, I would recommend this even more to you because when do you overthink at night, right? So if you get yourself a good little reading setup and get a great book to read, you're distracted and you won't overthink. It also really helps with anxiety. Cannot recommend it enough. Something else that I've really been loving is this perfume. I don't really share perfumes on the pod often, but I figured this was worth mentioning because I have been getting so many like compliments on it out and about, which now that I'm actually thinking about it, when I'm out and about, I'm, you know, obviously I'm six feet away at least from people and I'm still getting compliments on how I smell. So I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. I think it's good, okay? It is the Replica Perfume in Fireplace. It's a very masculine scent. It smells like a fireplace, not in the way that you don't want your coat to smell like the fire pit when you've been out all night. It's more so like a really good fireplace scent. It's very warm. It's very cozy. It's very, I'm really bad at describing scents, but 
it's not too masculine if you don't want like a fully masculine scent, but it smells so good. Even Keaton was like, I'm buying it right now. She texted me the other day and was like, what was that perfume? It just smells so good. Cannot recommend it to you enough. Last thing I've been loving is chocolate brown, guys. I woke up one day, all of a sudden, 70% of my closet was brown. I'm currently wearing pretty much all brown. I have this chocolate brown set I'm obsessed with. Keep buying all these brown coats. I used to be such a like black only girl. And now I am so into browns, guys. I mean, I feel like last season or last Christmas, I really was starting to get into it because I got that vintage like Fendi brown bag and all of that. I don't know, guys. I'm just here to tell you chocolate brown is back. It's in. It's hot. It's the color of the season. Um, I'm sharing a lot of like chocolate brown stuff I've seen. I've been buying on my Instagram and YouTube if you guys are ever interested in that. But I just figured it was worth mentioning because I'm very passionate about this chocolate brown and it's really just impacted my life very positively. All right, guys, a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Thread Wallets. You guys know me. I'm just a girl on the go. I have things to do, not really people to see at this time, but I need to leave my house in the morning. I need to either go on a walk or I need to go grab coffee somewhere. It's really important for me that I just get up and get going, right? This is where Thread Wallets has come in handy for me. First thing being their card case. It's really quick. I don't want to grab a big purse. I don't want to lug around a bunch of stuff. I want to just grab two things, my essentials and go. But I also want it to be cute. Just because it's practical doesn't mean that it needs to be ugly. You know, Thread Wallets really has you covered. They also have lip balm holders, guys. This has been the biggest game changer for me. I refuse to leave my house without lip balm. I just can't do it. I won't do it. It's just it's not me. It's it's really one of my core values at this point, but I have a lip balm holder now because I used to always lose them and now I don't. So it's really awesome. Thread Wallets is redefining the way you carry you with their wallets, lanyards, lip balm holders, and crossbody bags. They're mixing functionality and expression to create the perfect extension of who you are. I woke up this morning, I grabbed my card case, I grabbed my lip balm holder, and I was out the door to go grab my morning coffee. So on the shelf, the hook in your bag or pocket, Thread Wallets will hold it together while you do your thing. Get free shipping on any purchase of $35 or more. They're also a great gift for the holidays, guys. Get them a card case. I'd really recommend their lanyards too. They have this animal print that is so cute. So just go to threadwallets.com slash discount slash Kinsey15 to get 15% off your first purchase. That's threadwallets.com slash discount slash Kinsey15 for 15% off your first purchase. All right, guys, let's get back to the episode. Okay, guys, so... Amy Chan is the founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp, a retreat that takes a scientific and spiritual approach to healing the heart. She's also the editor-in-chief of Just My Type, an online magazine that focuses on the psychology behind love, lust, and desire. Marie Claire calls her a relationship expert whose work is like that of a scientific Carrie Bradshaw. And her company has been featured across national media, including Good Morning America, Vogue, Glamour, Nightline, and the front page of the New York Times. You guys know me. I'm really, really picky. I don't really read much about relationships or breakups or anything, honestly, like that. Um, As far as like maybe more of like a mainstream approach, I think some of it is so unbelievably unhealthy. And like, there's a reason that our divorce rate is so high. You know what I mean? Kidding, kind of. But this book was so helpful. It is so good. It basically just teaches you how to become the most healthy that you can, but almost it more so in obviously geared towards relationships. I love our conversation about attachment theory. I love how this is way more about you than it is the person you're going through a breakup with. It's just such a good book. This interview is 
so good. It's one of my favorites I've ever recorded. So without further ado, let's welcome Amy onto the show. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Guys, we were just already laughing. Um, I was explaining to Amy how excited I am. I've already mentioned this podcast episode. Like I believe in the intro of episodes that have gone up because I'm like, guys, this is going to be my best episode ever. Because this, I mean, maybe I'm like a little bit biased because this just happens to be what I'm interested in currently, but I am so excited to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. It is going to be a great episode. Do you want to share a little bit first just about your journey, your background, like where you grew up, all the things? Yeah. So I was born and raised in Vancouver and I was here living the dream. And to me, living the dream was date, get married and eventually, you know, live happily forever after. And I was on the path. I was in a relationship and we had even discussed when we have children one day that I would stay at home and write for fun and everything was mapped out for me. And then one day that relationship fell apart through infidelity. And when it did, I completely fell apart because I had put so much of my identity in him and us and our future. And without that, I did not know who I was. It was a pretty long journey of getting back up to finally where I am today, which is a breakup expert. I love that. And then you start your boot camp. Like, how did that all come about? What was your kind of like aha moment? I want to help girls. My whole life, I always struggled with matters of the heart. You know, I was able to excel in school, get good grades, do well with friends and have awesome jobs. But the one area I was always heartbroken. And so I actually started writing on the topic of relationships like 13 years ago because I just couldn't figure it out. So I would dive into the psychology of everything, the science, everything. And I was like, if I could just figure this out, then I'll be okay, right? Super high achieving, controlling person, you know, type of an approach. And, you know, after this breakup, I, it, the idea of breakup boot camp didn't come to me just yet, but I was really struggling. I, I spiraled into depression. I had panic attacks. I even had thoughts of suicide and I tried everything to heal. And even though the immediate intense pain eventually started to subside, my heart was closed for business and I was resentful and I was angry. And I, continue to tell the story, you know, even two years after it happened about, you know, what a victim I was. And I realized that there wasn't a place for people to go where it's not like just a, a vacation, like a yoga retreat, but they can come and there's, you know, the luxury and, you know, the great food and everything, but you're also getting specific help to what you're going through so that you leave a little bit different I love that so much. What I really love about your approach too is just taking responsibility and not being a victim. And that's something that I I really like believe in. And I think also the beauty of being able to take responsibility as someone who is high achieving, like three on the Enneagram, like all of those things can like very anxious, so controlling, whatever that is, is that you almost, you take the control back to yourself and so you can make the changes. I, I'm like trying to think of the nicest way that I can word this, but I walked into my therapist's office and I also like kind of think that I'm a stand-up comedian like to my <laughs> therapist. Like it's, but I'm like actually being so serious too at the same time. But I was like, no, I need to figure out, I'm trying to think of how I can say this nicer. I was like, I need to figure out why I keep dating boys 
who are not doing anything who also need therapy. And I was like, I think the antidote, like obviously I'm choosing that. So I'm like, why right. am I doing this? And then also I was like, I just need to date boys who are already in therapy. I think that's what I've like come to the conclusion of, but I love so much how you talk about almost the freedom in taking responsibility and taking away the bitterness and resentment and the anger. I don't like any of those negative feelings. I don't like what they make me. One, honestly, even just the basic of feeling that way, but also I don't have room for that. Like I have things to do in my life. I don't want to be like feeling some type of way over someone, you know? Right. So it's a really freeing response. And I think it's really important for people to hear. But before we even get into that stuff, I want to talk about attachment theory, because this is what I am the most interested in. I was introduced to this from a friend over the summer and I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. Like I can look back completely at relationships that probably shouldn't have ended and was just kind of dumb and just a classic, like that was miscommunication would have been so easy. And I read this and I'm like, oh my God, this is completely what happened. It is so wild. So I'm an anxious, okay. obviously attracted to avoidance, yeah. clearly. And I want to be secure. So I want to talk about everything. I want us to go into what each attachment theory means. And then also how, as I'm single, I can become the like secure attachment type. Yeah. Great. Okay. Let's dive in. So for those of who are listening who are new to attachment theory, the theory is that basically by the age of around two years old, we develop an attachment system, which will pretty much determine how we relate romantically as adults. And there's three main styles. So they're secure, avoidant, and anxious. Secure makes up about 50% of the population. These are people who are not afraid of intimacy. They're also not codependent. Uh, they're able to communicate their boundaries and their needs. And when there's like a fight or an argument, they're able to actually move through it with like, with an even keel sort of an attitude um, and not turn everything into a catastrophe. And then the next group is avoidance. So those who have an avoidant attachment style actually subconsciously suppress their attachment system. So it's not that they can't be in relationships or that they don't say that they want to be in relationships. The thing is what happens when someone gets a bit too close, they will actually do things to squelch intimacy. And so they will do what's called deactivating strategies. And this might look like you, if you have an avoidant attachment style, maybe you go on a romantic weekend with someone and then immediately coming back, you just like need a lot of space and you disappear for a week or you date someone and everything's great in the first three months. And then after a three month mark, you start noticing all the imperfections. You're like, "Mm, not the one or they may idolize an ex, uh, the one that got away, or think that there's this perfect unicorn that they just haven't met yet. And these are all ways that they avoid intimacy because their fundamental fear is that they will have uh, their freedom and autonomy taken away. So intimacy makes them feel, oh my God, I'm getting suffocated. And then- anxious, which I used to be anxious attached. I'm now what's called an earned secure. Anxiously attached have a fundamental fear that they will be abandoned or rejected at any time. Now, our researchers show that this often came from inconsistent caregiving. It doesn't mean that if you have an anxious attachment style, you had bad parents or they were bad intention. It just means that they may have misread cues. So sometimes you got your needs met 
sometimes you didn't. And what happens as a young baby, it creates a very dysregulated nervous system because you never know. It, it's almost like a matter of life or death. So you have a very sensitive kind of nervous system and you can get triggered when you're not getting your needs met or there's a threat to the connection because you're like, oh my gosh, this is survival. And what happens is when an anxiously attached gets triggered, so maybe you send a text and you don't hear back for four hours, they will do whatever they can to reestablish connection and make sure that the relationship is safe, or they might engage in what's called protest behavior. So this might mean, oh, so you took four hours to text me back? Screw you. I'll take four days. See how you like it. Or you might like someone so much that you're like, okay, I'm just going to date these three other people to take the edge off. Or you'll reject someone before they have a chance to reject you. And yes, like you mentioned, avoidance are drawn to anxious and anxious are drawn to avoidant. They both reconfirm each other's worldview. Yeah. It's a recipe for disaster. From my experience, I've seen also people like be partly healthy. And there, there are things that I've seen in my experience with avoidance, and even my just being myself where I see like traces of secure and almost as if let's say just from my experience, like dealing with avoidance, just in general, like one in particular, I think of, Oh, like when he's healthy, he's really actually great and totally capable of having a totally great relationship. And that's about 95% of the time when he's like a healthy human being. Right. And then it just like, is it out of nowhere? There's a snap and it's like, it's a lot of projecting, like all of a sudden every insecurity that this person has, that's like so evident is now like, that's how I am, which is so bizarre. Okay. So with that being said, avoidance, like suppressed do, and they don't, realize that they have like this problem normally, right? Right. That's why, I mean, 90% of the people that come to break up bootcamp have an anxious attachment style because they first of all take relationship breakups and heartache the hardest because they put a lot of identity and self-worth in the relationship. They're often very preoccupied with the relationship. So when they're in it, they're thinking about it all the time. Uh, It's always on their mind. Whereas avoidance don't think that there's a problem. So they're less likely to go and seek help because like, oh, it's not my problem. It's you, or I just haven't met the one yet. What are some practical things that you can do as you're single and when you're in a relationship to become securely attached because that is possible, but what are some steps that any of us can take? Yeah, that's a great question, Kenzie. So first it's important to note that your attachment style is on a spectrum. Researchers show that whatever you're born with not is not necessarily what's going to be forever because there's neuroplasticity and you can actually shift things. And 20% of the population actually does change their attachment style through time. But they've done studies where they've looked at babies and they followed these babies until they grow up. And most of the time they stay the same. So attachment is on a spectrum, meaning if you have an anxious attachment style, but you know, you're killing it at your job, you have a great women's group and you know, you're healthy and you're fit. And you're dating someone who is secure, maybe with a little bit of void and attachment, your anxious attachment probably won't flare up that much. But if you're in the middle of a pandemic, you lost your job, you're not seeing your friends, and then suddenly you swipe someone on hinge and you end up meeting someone who's like extreme avoidant. 
what do you think is going to happen? Your anxious attachment is going to go through the roof. So it, it is dependent on context and who you're with because different people can trigger you in a much different way. And the number one thing is recognizing what is your attachment style. And people get this confused because like, well, I'm anxious, but sometimes avoidant you have to see what's a coping mechanism. So for example, for me, I used to call constantly and text and like, even like show up at the club that the guy I worked at. I'm like, Oh, you're DJ today. Like, and until I, I realized I'm like, Oh, like this could be like stage five stalking. So I was like, Oh, okay. I'm going to do the complete opposite, which is I'm just going to ignore you. And I'm going to date like five other people and see how you like it. So on the outside, it could look like I'm an avoidant but I was just an anxiously attached masquerading as an avoidant. So the thing you want to ask yourself is your primary fear that you're going to be abandoned or rejected. If so, that's more anxiously attached or is your fear that you're going to have your freedom and autonomy taken away. And so if you can recognize your own attachment style and the attachment style of the people you're dating or your partners, you can also have more compassion for the other group. So for example, it's very easy to give a lot of flack to people who are avoidance and like, you're unavailable, like screw you. You're not good with intimacy. But the thing is they've actually done these tests where they looked at these children. And even though they tested what was happening in their brain and in their body. So they would do this thing called the strange situation test where they would bring in a child with the mother and then the mother would leave the room and then they would see how the child would react. And so the anxious would freak out even before the mother left the room and it would take the longest to soothe that child who's anxious. Now an avoidant, the avoidant looks like they don't care when the mother leaves the room. They show nothing on the outside. The mother comes back into the room, shows nothing. And so you would think like, oh, this baby really gives zero Fs. But when they actually tested, they were having a stress response. So they were having a spike in cortisol and they were feeling stressed in their body, even though on the outside, it didn't show. So if you've dated an avoidant, you might be like, you have no feelings, but they might not be processing that, oh, I'm feeling sad or, oh, I'm feeling this because they also suppress their emotions, but it doesn't mean that it's not affecting them and giving them a stress response. Which attachment style normally comes back around? Um, so avoidance are in the dating pool a lot. But the, if, if it's in terms of coming around, the anxiously attached usually will try to get back together with their ex more so than avoidance do. Yeah. It's so interesting because with me, I'm like extremely independent and have been my entire life. And to the point where like, I think when I was younger, it was like probably less healthy, but also like I would say I'm actually a very secure person. But it, so it's so interesting relationally, which I can understand with my upbringing, why that would be a thing. Also, like I'm a child of divorced parents, like the inconsistency, like that makes sense to me. But it's so interesting because I'm like, I'm also not the person that comes back. Like I'm very much so like, okay, we're leaving it. But I also think that's an aspect too of like, I've been in therapy, like most of my life, you know, there's things that like I've actively worked towards it. Like I'm very, very, very self-aware. Like I know my problems. I know why I'm acting this way. I know what I need to fix. You know, I'm not someone who I don't live in this bubble and think that I've never caused a problem in my life. You know, I'm very much so like, no, I, I know my problems and I'm working towards them. That's why I'm so interested in attachment theory right now, because I'm like, I'm doing everything I can to just become 
securely attached. Right. So one tool that might be great for you and anyone listening is really looking at the chain of reaction. So we all have a few things that trigger us. I know for me, it's when I was dating, it was when someone didn't initiate making plans with me or they weren't consistent in their communication. And I would usually have a meltdown and I would do a number of things. So the first thing is identify what are your two to three go-to triggers that tend to come up often. And then you want to map out, so what is the past reaction? And then write that down and then write down the story. So I would react in a really terrible way when someone didn't text me back in time because I would assume you just don't like me enough. I'm not going to be that girl that just stays around when a guy doesn't like me enough and I'm not going to chase. And I would create all these stories and then I would have a reaction. And like you mentioned, like some of these relationships didn't have to end. It was that I reacted very disproportionately to what was actually happening. And then when you're in a calm state, you want to actually write down what would be a healthier response. Because if you try to create the strategy in the midst of it, it's all going to go to hell. You need to kind of do it right now. And it would actually even be helpful if you visualize yourself in the scenario and you doing the healthier response versus going to the other one. Because we have neural pathways in our brain. The more we exercise it, the stronger they get. And so if you create a healthier response, so I know for me, um, when I didn't hear back, Instead of freaking out and then rejecting them and then acting passive aggressive, my healthier response would be, okay, I'm gonna, not going to go to a story about what was going on and take it personally. I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to shake and do a state change so I could get the anxiety out. I'm going to do all these things. The more you start doing that, the more the old neural pathways start to prune away and you strengthen this new one. So the first few times you change your reaction, it might feel very contrived. It might not even work, but you're building that muscle. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I think my two triggers that I can think of on the spot would be, well, really the only one would be canceling plans. I think that that's something that really bothers me. And I don't really know why either, because it's not like when I think about it, just in a logical sense, I don't care. Right. So I don't know why that's something that like really has bothered me. I thought of another one that I cannot think of on the spot, but you mentioned how, you know, we're in a pandemic and depending on who you're with, there's a lot of different scenarios that can trigger something a little bit worse than you comparatively. So what have you seen happen through relationships? What have been effects on relationships you've seen due to COVID? COVID has been the great accelerator, meaning if there was a couple and there are cracks in the foundation, those cracks kind of disassembled the entire house and the relationship came falling apart. It also for couples, even new couples that came together and had a lot of, were getting along really well, had very similar values. It really accelerated them in their relationship, whether they decided to really commit to each other or move in together or move across the country together. So I think really COVID was like, it took away all of these distractions and these things that created like a slow motion of what would naturally would have come to head um, in a relationship. And so it's like, it took away all of that. And it's like, boom, like, here you go. Here's a reality of your relationship. That is so true. Okay. So talking a little bit about just rewiring your brain, I love like neuroscience in general. So this stuff is like so interesting to me, but what are some ways that you can do that through a breakup? 
Yeah. So I think what's really important after a breakup is first, I think, you know, for anyone who's going through a breakup, listening to this, there's going to be a period of time where you're going to feel all the feels. And what I really encourage people to do is to stop labeling the feelings as good or bad, because when we create that judgment, we actually are resisting the emotion, which, which causes us to stay in the suffering of that emotion for a lot longer than needed versus accepting it, really treating yourself with gentle kindness and compassion. And that allows you to move through the different stages of grief because there are seven stages after a breakup and you got to go through all of them. You can't really fast forward and skip one of them. And so after that, really, you want to understand like, what is the pattern? Because people who come to break up boot camp, they think they're there because of their ex. It's never just about the ex it's recycled pain. And if you strip away everything and, and you look at the emotional experience, you might see some patterns, right? So for me, I grew up with a very unavailable father. He was a business guy. Family was 10th on the priority. The only time I got attention was when I got good grades and I would get money. And I never thought this affected me. And then when I grew up in my twenties, I only did a DJs and club owners and club promoters, right? Not very available. <laughs> Didn't prioritize me. I was always chasing them, just hoping I would get a little bit of their attention. Then in my thirties, I dated like tech CEOs, same thing, right? Like I was always like chasing them for their time. But if you ask me, I'm like, no, there's no pattern. They're totally different. But the emotional experience was exactly the same. I was constantly chasing someone for their time, hoping that I could change someone to become available and commit to me. And if you look at my pattern with my emotional experience growing up, it was exactly the same thing. So I think really it's getting a clear awareness of what your patterns are and then looking at what is the root belief behind that pattern, right? So even with you, when you say that there's something about when someone cancels plans that just really gets you and you don't understand why, well, there is a root belief there. And like, the thing is between zero to seven years old, our brains are like sponges. When things happen, we can't differentiate that. Oh, it's not something personal. It's not because you're being rejected or you're not loved by your mom or dad, or, you know, that time that your dad didn't show up for your dance recital. It didn't mean something was wrong with you, but we take on these belief systems. We don't remember the scene of the crime and we grow up and we're like, I have no idea why I have that thing. And so I actually did hypnotherapy to find out why I had this sense of abandonment whenever people didn't initiate making plans with me. And I found out like the scene of the crime was like when I was three years old and I was able to actually shift that memory. Wow. That's so interesting. There's a, I'm going to butcher this, but there's a form of therapy my friend was sharing with me. That's some sort of like trauma therapy where essentially when your bad memories are stored differently in your brain, it like takes it and restores it. I can't remember what it's called, Mm. but I was talking about it with my mom recently. And I was like, honestly, and a lot of people, she's like, I'm just doing it mainly for like my parents' divorce. Cause you think trauma people obviously like go to like extremes right. and it's not always like these really extreme situations, but I kind of want to do that. Cause I'm like, I can think of a few things that would make sense 
but I just like really want to get down to the bottom of it, you know? Yeah. I think there's like, like what you're doing is great because you take a very holistic approach. It's not just, okay, just talk therapy. Like, oh, I want to try this one because that's how we need to look at matters of the heart, right? It's head, heart, mind, body, soul. They're all interconnected. You can't ignore one side and think that everything's just going to work and function and flow properly. And so, yes, there's things that you can learn on a cognitive level. In my book, I actually do the exercise about what learning what you're limiting beliefs are and then shifting those one degree at a time. Often when I work with people, there is the main limiting beliefs that they have that they don't even know that they have is I'm not enough. I'm not worthy of love, right? Those are things that causes people to sabotage love or not choose partners that can actually love them in a healthy way. But then there's the subconscious stuff, right? And you can do this through whether it's energy healing or hypnotherapy or tapping. There's so many different modes of healing and you really kind of got to try it on and, and test it out. You also talk a lot about meeting these needs that you have for yourself. Can you elaborate on that as a lot of relationship problems. We're trying to get someone else to meet this need, but like in reality, we need to meeting it for ourselves. Right. So if we look at our relationships as our partners aren't here to make us happy, our partners are here to help us become more conscious, right? I think that so much in our society and our culture and our media shows us this picture that you meet the one and that there's a happily forever after, or they show the intensity of love. And you're like, oh, that's what love is. It's like butterflies all the time. And so I think it really sets us up for failure because we have these expectations and standards that are not based in reality. And also one of them is that our partners are here to meet all of our needs or many of our needs. And so the number one thing is you are responsible for meeting your own needs. Now you can be with someone and express like, these are your needs and these are your preferences. And they are totally welcome to, because they respect you and they love you and they adore you to like really want to co-create this life and journey with you and vice versa. But no one is responsible to make you feel safe. For example, I hear this all the time with the women who come through breakup bootcamp, like you know, I don't feel safe. You know, I want to be called like, you know, every, every day, like X amount of times a day, whatever. It's not their partner's job to do that. If you need someone to follow a set of rules in order for you to feel safe. And of course I'm not talking about if someone's abusive or anything like that, I'm not talking about that. But if you're like, okay, I need to be on a call schedule. They need to text me back immediately when I text them. That is only dealing with a symptom. It's not dealing with the root of feeling a lack of safety. And that feeling of a lack of safety is only something that you can create for yourself. And that is going through getting professional help, going to therapy, reading the books, doing the work so that you can feel safe on your own. And then when people are kind of brushing up against your old wounds, you're not constantly triggered all the time. What are some ways that you can differentiate the feelings of knowing that this is something that like, let's say I feel some type of way and maybe I'm projecting onto my partner and then I convince myself that there's all these problems in the relationship that there aren't like, how am I able in that moment? If someone is doing that, how are you able to kind of catch yourself and realize that? Cause I feel like that's normally something people realize months after the relationship ends. Mm, okay. So one is one of the simplest things in relationship health is learning the power of pausing, which is so simple yet so complex and so hard, right? Because the minute we feel triggered, 
we want to like a hot potato, throw that hot potato. And it's like, your turn, you deal with it. And so something to understand is when you feel an emotion, whether it's anger, because you're annoyed or whatever it is, the lifespan of an emotion is between 90 seconds to 120 seconds. That's how long it takes for the emotion for you to, it to be in your body, it hit its peak and move through your body. What causes that emotion to stay around longer is the stories you attach. And that's what causes an emotion to stay around for hours or days or years. And what we do is when we get triggered, so maybe we were disappointed because they messed up the anniversary. Instead of being, I'm angry, I'm letting the anger pass through me, suddenly I'm like, oh yeah, and last time I did a date night and then this, and you don't appreciate me. We create all these stories, which creates this emotional monster to kind of get out of control. So very first thing, learning the art of pausing and creating a strategy in place so that you know the next time you get triggered, you do these three things to help you self-soothe before you actually do anything. Next is... Behind every complaint, behind every frustration is an unmet need. So often we are bickering on the symptom, like the dishes, the roses, when it has nothing to do with you wanting to do the dishes, right? There is an unmet need. So understanding what is that need? Is it connection? Is it adventure? Is it safety? So you can have an awareness of what that unmet need is. And then you actually have a foundation where you can have an, an adult conversation about it when you are in a calm state. When it- Someone goes through some sort of breakup or even in a relationship. I think forgiveness is, I mean, especially in a relationship is a really, really big thing. We've talked about not holding on to these like resentments and bitterness. How would you recommend someone kind of like journey and process through those emotions to get to the point of being able to like freely give forgiveness? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, forgiveness is the ultimate gift for yourself, right? And it is a long winding road. But the fact of the matter is, if you are still complaining about your ex, analyzing your ex and repeating that story over and over again, it doesn't matter if there's a divorce paper or you've been broken up for years, you are still in a relationship with your ex. That's reality. And so forgiveness is, it's a process. And there are many steps that you take that have a compound effect. So when people are like, just forgive, like it's, it can be very shaming because it's very challenging to get there. And I think the first step is doing some self-compassion and you can do this through like self-compassion meditations. They actually, they've done research that shows that it works. Kristen Neff is an amazing thought leader in this because when you can't have compassion for yourself, it's going to be very, very hard to have compassion for another person. So I think that's a very first skill. You cultivate your sense of self-compassion before you even try to tackle trying to have compassion for the other person. And then um, there is an exercise we do at Breakup Bootcamp. It's also talked about in the book is we actually do a process of letting go and we write a letter. We write a letter to our ex. I've actually done this to any any guy that has ever hurt me and starting with the relationship I had with my father. And in this relationship, you write the facts of what happened, not the fiction, not the stories and interpretations you've made up, but the facts. And then you write how you felt about what happened. And then you take accountability. Where were you in part of this? Because it always takes two people in a dynamic. It's never one-sided. So take accountability and then look at what have you learned? 
And then perhaps what has changed in your life? What, what positive things have happened from this relationship? I know for me, when I wrote this letter to my ex, like I had moved to New York, I had started a new company. And even though the breakup we had was really hard, if that breakup never happened, I would have never dared to pursue another dream. And then when you start to see like, these are some of the things that were a positive outcome for you, then write down what you're grateful for and what you're letting go and what you're forgiving. And then do a ceremony with that, rip it up, burn it, you know, gather with your friends and like do it together. So there's like a sisterhood, but this is actually a way of like emotionally cutting the cord because I think that it's really great to do therapy and kind of talk about this stuff, but there's something about ritual that has been really lost in North American culture and rituals have been around for centuries in different cultures because they really mark the ending of something and the beginning of something else. I think that is so helpful. I was actually listening to a podcast this morning of actually two friends of mine and one of them was sharing, she's been with her boyfriend for years and they broke up for like six months at some point. And she was kind of saying the same thing. Like she would have never had they not broken up for that time period, one, she wouldn't have realized how much she actually valued the relationship. And then two, she wouldn't have started this whole career that she now has. She's like, if I would have stayed in that relationship at that point, she's like, I do think not that breaking up is like always the best idea, but she's like, I do think that that actually helped our relationship so much. And more importantly, like helped kind of my life direction Something too that I always like think about is I am always grateful for when things don't go my way later on. So I think gratitude is such a big thing. And you talked about that in your book as well. And this time I was like, I'm just going to be so grateful already right now because I know give it like even a month, I will be like, oh my God, thank God that happened. Like that was actually so good for me. or I'm actually so much happier or, you know, this came from that. And it's like, there's always, I think, good things that come from pain I think we can learn from any situation, especially breakups, but we can also learn to like the extent that we want to. So when you change the perspective on like, oh, this didn't work out. I'm grateful that it happened. I'm more, I'm really grateful that it's over. And like, this is what I can learn about myself to like better myself and grow. That's what I think is so important. And I think like one of my biggest fears is not being like ready or in a healthy place for anything good that comes my way. And maybe it's because I've seen a lot of avoidance be like this in my life. Mm. So maybe that's why I'm afraid that like, I'll do that. But that's why I'm really proactive as far as like my mental, emotional well-being and what I can do. I don't want to, not that I want to just, I mean, I would, I would love to just fast forward through things and not deal with it. So I guess I would want to do that, but I don't want to do that because I want to grow and heal and be in the best place I can possibly be for like my future and not mess something up in the future because of what's happened in the past. Yeah. So I think that's another thing for me that this has also like your whole outlook has really also helped with like one, I can understand better. And then two, it's helped me like, oh, okay. Like I can like change and rewire my thinking on the process, you know? Totally. And it seems like Kenzie, you know, you mentioned you've gone through therapy and you've, you've done a lot of self-work and you have clearly been able to build your muscle, being able to reframe. So now when life throws you a curveball, you're like, oh, okay. 
Um, you know, I, I have a history where thing, one door closed and another one opened. I know I have that. So this, I don't know how it's going to end, but I know it's for the better for me, right? Like that's a muscle. You build that through time. I'm sure if we talked to you eight years ago and a pandemic hit, you probably wouldn't have had that same outlook. Like you practice that. And because you practice that now kind of throughout life and the ups and downs, you're able to like be more even keel. And that's the thing with these tools is that these are all tools we can all learn. And yes, maybe some of us are at different parts of the starting line, but when you learn them and you practice them, they start to become just a part of your way of being and your emotional health increases. And we attract people of a very similar emotional health level. And so who we're drawn to, who's drawn to us, they really kind of signify what's going on inside. So the healthier you become, you'll find like the more healthier people you're actually even drawn to yourself. Do you find that in certain, I, I'm just thinking about like people who I actually would deem like independently, just like outside of relationships, actually like very healthy people and like love learning and growing and like getting better. But then you see them in a relationship and it's, it kind of turns into you saying that attachment theory is on a spectrum actually makes a lot of sense to me. But do you find it to be one of those things where it's triggered mainly by other people or it's triggered by like where you are emotionally at in your life? I think it's both. I think that if you are in a stage of part of life where you're just feeling really down and especially I, I know a lot of people who've lost their jobs. So they are a lot more sensitive to, especially if you have an anxious attachment style, like that anxious attachment style anxiety has gone out you know, skyrocketed. So yeah, I would say that it's, it's really both. What do you think? I don't even know if I can actually ask this question. I feel like this is gonna be one of those things. It's different for everyone, but what is the average of how long it takes someone to get over a breakup? Yeah. Um, so there's a ton of different, obviously answers, but from what I've seen at breakup bootcamp between six weeks to eight weeks is when the emotional intensity starts to subside. Now, time doesn't heal all wounds. Uh, time will kind of minimize intensity, but then the wounds are still there for you to deal with afterwards. I completely agree with that. I say that all the time. I, I understand the heart behind it because it's like, yeah, it's not as intense, but if you don't deal with it, it's still there. Another quote, I think this actually was in your book as well, but it was in something, I was in another book that I was recently reading, but it was like, deal with your emotions or they'll deal with you. Like when you're going through something and you're like, oh, like time heals, I'm fine. And then it pops up like two years later and you're like, oh, I didn't even know that still bothered me. Mm, it's crazy. Right. Yeah. And you know, back to Kenzie, what you were saying earlier about like people who are so independently, they're just awesome. Right. But in a relationship, you're like, oh, not so much. I, I see this a lot when people are dating someone and I've done this myself. I'm like, but the person's so awesome. They're humanitarian. They're successful. They're, they're so kind, but in relationship, they're not awesome. And so what matters is when you're looking at a potential partner, are they awesome for you? Them being awesome in isolation doesn't mean anything. Yes. That's what I, that's kind of what I was asking. I'm like, does that just mean that they're not healthy or is it just really, there's just different aspects of emotional health. I think it's also timing, right? Like I would look at my partner now before dating me, he was single 
for a few years and just dating a ton of people. And so I'm sure if I surveyed these women, they might've been like, he was so unavailable, like avoidant. And then for whatever reason, not because I'm some magical unicorn, we met at a stage of time where we really clicked. We had very similar values and we had that, the foundation, which I think for a partnership to have the ability to be, you know, healthy and, and to, to continue building is you need a combination of chemistry, compatibility, and timing. And so without one of them, you can't really force it because eventually it might break. And so we just so happen to have it. And so we, we fit. But, you know, like I mentioned, like, I'm sure the two exes he had might have a different story. No, that's so true. What are your best tips for people who are dealing with infidelity? I used to think that infidelity was the end of everything and it's completely irreparable. And research actually shows that infidelity can actually make a relationship stronger. Now, what I mean by this is if infidelity happened and that's kind of like the breaking point the relationship can either at that point be like holy like we really need to deal with this and fight for this relationship and make some major changes now let's both do therapy let's do therapy together let's do it and the relationship can get stronger but if it's like infidelity happened and one's like oh you know sorry but not so sorry like it's not gonna work right infidelity is not like some spontaneous thing that just happens it's usually like step 20 out of many different steps, right? It's the, you know what, I'm just going to confide in this person about my relationship issues instead of talking about it with my partner. You know, I'm just going to, you know, 10 o'clock drink. Sure. Let's do a drink, not lunch. Right. It's these little things, which, you know, we always know inside, like, "Mm, it's a little bit off, but you know, I'll just do it anyway. I'm just going to ignore that. It's fine. Right. But you wouldn't do it in front of your partner. So the actual act of infidelity happens way later after many decisions have been made. And so I I think that if a couple is going through infidelity and both are invested in the relationship and using this to help them get stronger, go and try. But if two people are not equally invested and not just paying lip service to the change that they want to make, but actually are taking actions and create a strategy for creating that change, then don't. That's really good advice. What do you think is the worst piece of relationship advice you've ever heard? Oh my gosh, there's so many bad ones. So one that's not so obvious is when you know, you'll know. And I think that really goes to the vein of like, you lock eyes with someone and you're like, I just know. And so there is such a myth of the soulmate and you have more chances of getting hit by lightning, winning the Powerball lottery than you do than meeting your soulmate. They've actually done the mathematics of it. It's quite impossible. Now, have there been people who have met someone like, oh my God, you're the one, they get married and there's an amazing story? Yes, but that is not the norm. And that's not the reality that we should be having as our standard. It really sets you up for failure because um, often when, especially if you have a history of not having healthy relationships, meaning your chemistry compass, who you're drawn to and who you're repulsed by, your chemistry compass might be broken. So it's pointing you in the direction of people who can wound you in a very similar way of how you're wounded as a child. So if those people see someone, they're like, 
10 out of 10 of traction, that doesn't mean green light. It means red light. It means you should run because it's so your subconscious has already picked up that it's strife with wounding patterns. And so if you're super healthy and you meet someone, you're like, Oh, I feel this thing. Yeah. Amazing. Go with your intuition, go with it. But getting really real with where you're at and if your chemistry compass is working for you or not is really important. That's so good. You mentioned that that should not be our standard as in, you know, you meet, you fall in love immediately, get married, whatever. What do you think like realistically our standards should be? Love can be sparked by three different mating drives. So there's lust, there's attraction, and then there's attachment and bonding. Each of these mating drives are separate in the brain and they are driven by different chemicals. So lust is testosterone. It's really much of their nature's way of making us have sex with as many people as we can. Attraction is dopamine. So it feels really great when the affections are returned, feels horrible when it's not. It creates us to kind of have this obsessive quality about someone and zero in. That's really Mother Nature's way of making us zero in on someone. And then bonding is the main chemical is vasopressin and oxytocin. And this is when we like really bond with someone. It's the same chemical that's secreted when a mother gives birth. And so love can be sparked by any of the mating drives, but the story we see from fairy tales to TV shows to movies to love songs is that if it's not sparked by lust, this intensity, then it's not love. And so it's so easy for people like boring, uh, too nice, boring. Like I don't feel this thing, but you're really limiting yourself because when you meet someone, your brain might not cognitively be processing that there is a romantic chemistry. You might have friend chemistry, like I love hanging out with this person, but you might not even know that it's romantic chemistry. Your body hasn't caught up to your brain yet. And so if you're just cutting people off because you don't have this crazy lust and intensity, you are really um, probably not meeting your person. That is so interesting. I'm just giving you like rapid fire relationship yeah. questions right now. What are your thoughts on getting back with an ex? So the only reason why you should get back together with an ex is if there is so what I'm going to say new data. This is like a way of like processing your, your decisions. If nothing has changed except for maybe someone saying that they're going to change, but there's actually no action plan in place or proof of change, the same things are going to continue to happen. And it's like, you just keep going back and back and back. And I see this all the time. The the result doesn't change. I have not yet seen one story where this has shifted unless there's been some major repair work being done. If there is a breakup and the space and the time apart has caused one or two, obviously it takes two people. So two people deciding like, okay, we're both equally invested in making this work. We're going to do these things. Then yes, it's, it might be worth a try. If there's ever been any emotional abuse or anything like that, walk away. And a lot of times people get stuck in relationships that are unhealthy for them and they suffer through them because of what's called sunk cost fallacy. So sunk cost fallacy is a human tendency to um, continuously invest in things because we invested in it before. It happens in the stock market. It happens when you buy a ticket to a movie in the first 20 minutes, it sucks, but you watch it the whole way through because you bought the ticket. It happens when you're dating someone for three years and you're like, I gave this person the best years of my life and it's awful, but now I want kids and I'm at this age and you stay because of those reasons. And so when you're aware of this, you have to ask yourself, 
if I didn't make all that investment, because the investment you have made, it's done, it's, it's spent. If I was to make the same decision today, would I choose this person? Would I choose this job? Would I choose this movie? And if the answer is no, this is a major indicator that you need to take a look at your decision of staying with a person. That is so good. Like that is so helpful. Okay, actually give your three best practical steps for getting through a breakup. Number one, detox from your ex completely. Remove them off social media, have a conversation beforehand to let them know if you need to, to draw the boundary saying, hey, for the next two months, I am removing all contact from you. Please respect my wishes for my healing journey and do not contact me. The reason why is you have neural pathways that have been wired together. You need to let time for those neural pathways to prune away. You are also in a state of shock. Your body's used to getting dopamine and oxytocin from this person. So every time you're like, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, low-key scroll uh, their IG feed, you're getting that hit of dopamine and you're just going back a few steps. So detox. Number two is think of your relationship and like almost like draw a circle. And in that circle, draw slices of pie. What slice of pie was dedicated to the relationship? I know I work with people where 50, 80% of their pie was filled with relationship. So it gives you a good visual that now that the relationship is over, you've got that much of a slice of pie to fill up with things that light you up. So look at what your main needs are, community, connection, all those things, and create a proactive method and strategy to get those needs met in ways that don't involve your ex and are healthy for you. And the next thing is, create things on your calendar, which are things that you look forward to because we get dopamine when we have anticipation of something. So after a breakup, you are feeling totally out of sorts because your, your chemical reactions are all out of whack. So you need to do things that will give you those chemical reactions. So putting things in the calendar that you can look forward to, exercise so that you can get endorphins. You need to really kind of look at like you've just get, gotten depleted of all these feel-good chemicals. So you want to get them in a healthier way and set yourself up for success. I love what you said about number one. Not that I didn't like unfollow or anything off Instagram, but I think... I mean, I don't look at this Instagram. I don't look at any of the stories. I don't, I have no interest or desire to even like scroll the page. I haven't seen it since whoever knows how long, but for me, an unfollow is not that deep in any regard. And I actually think that there's so many of my friends where I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish they would just block you because it would be better right. for you because you are so stunted by being obsessed with what they're doing or where they are. I'm like, what they're doing has nothing to do with you. It doesn't matter literally at all. Okay. Very, very last question. Yeah. What do you think in COVID, this is like such a hot topic with dating. Like what's the best way to meet someone? Would it just be like online, I guess? So I'm really encouraging people right now to do a dating experiment. This is an opportune time for it. Sure. Go on your dating apps and I say, go for 10 different people. And these 10 people Go for someone who's younger than you. Go for someone who's older than you. Go for someone who doesn't have the type of job that you normally go for. All just, you wanna experiment. And eventually when you're able to meet up and whatnot, 
all you want to look at is, am I having fun? And do I want to see this person again? I think people try so hard in the very beginning to be like, is this my person? Are they going to be the father of my kids? And it creates so much pressure. And again, like I said, your brain might not have, have computed that there's actual romantic chemistry, but chemistry is if you just enjoy being with the person, you want to see them again. And so what this does is it opens up your type because the biggest thing I see why people are unable to create these relationships that they say they want is they really narrow in on their type. And they're like, no, I, I know what I like. I get these feels, but you, you don't know what you don't know. And so if you do this, this is, and don't think that any of these 10 people are going to be the one, right? Like if they are great, but this is really just an experiment to try to learn how to connect with a wide range of people and seeing if you can add to your flavor profile. I like that. You don't know what you don't know. That's such a good point. I definitely fall to like, oh no, I want to date this kind of person. This is what I want. This is what I see for myself. And then I like will think outside of the box, like when opportunities arise and I'm like, wait, I guess I wouldn't actually, I'm not as against that as I once thought I was. Like I'm not putting myself in this little bubble, but we've already been talking for an hour. So thank you so much for coming on. I love this episode. (laughs) I know uh, you can come back anytime, please. So um, let us know where everyone can find you on social media, about your book, all of the details. Yeah. So you can find me on renewbreakupbootcamp.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Miss Amy Chan. That's M-I-S-S-M-Y-C-H-A-N. If you have more questions, DM me. I'll totally answer. And my book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart is available at all bookstores. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed talking with Amy. She's incredible. You guys can get Breakup Bootcamp now available where books are sold. I love you guys so much. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, As always, be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel, the podcast, join our mailing list. um, And I'll talk to you guys next week.